again, it is good to see all of you here this morning and those that are joining us at home. And uh, it is a blessing to be able to worship together and hear from God's Word, and it is always a blessing to be able to respond to it, which is something I hope that we do each time we open up the Word of God. We not only hear what God has to say, but we're eager to live it out. And with that in mind, I want you, if you would, to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians this morning in the New Testament. And speaking of responding to God and to His Word, this message series through the whole book of Ephesians is entitled Building the Church God's Way. And the reason that we're looking at the book of Ephesians in in these days, this fall, is because we want to see God build the church. But we want to see God build the church His way. We want God to build us from the inside out. We want God to be the one to lead the building uh, of his people and his church. And in this particular letter that Paul wrote, he does so in such a way that is so unique to any of the other letters that he wrote. If you know anything about the book of Ephesians, it has six chapters. And the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians are all doctrinal. What do we believe? What makes us who we are as Christians and as a church. And then the last three chapters in the book of Ephesians are all practical. How do we live out a life filled with the Spirit of God? How do we structure our home to bring glory and honor to God? How do we go to work and glorify the Lord? All of that has to do with how God builds the church. He builds us up as individuals therefore making his church all that he wants it to be. And that's really the reason why in the book of Ephesians, is why we're looking at it in these next several weeks, to be able to hear how does God intend to build us up. And so the title of the message today is very simply, Follow the Plans. We are called as a church to follow God's plans, not our own but to go about what we do as Christians and what we do as a church his way. Now this letter, by the way, was written to the church at Ephesus, which you know if you read through the book of Acts in the later chapters, Paul loved that church. He had a deep affection for them. He was with that church for several years, probably longer in Ephesus at one particular church than he was anywhere else in his missionary career. And the Bible even says in the book of Acts that when he left that that the people were crying and he was crying. It was a very emotional goodbye. Yet you read the book of Ephesians and you think, well, where's all that warmth? Where's all that personal connection to people? Well, the book of Ephesians, the letter was written not just to these people, but it was written to be handed out to be uh, copied and to address lots of different churches. Had it been addressed only for the church at Ephesus, it would have read more like a love letter from a former pastor to a church that he loved so dearly. But it's written more as an instruction manual to the church, something that the church at Ephesians knew very well. Now, when you think about building. I have to be honest and tell you that I'm not that good at construction. 
I've tried a few little projects and I've, you know, got some tools and I've done my best, but I really don't know that much about construction. But I did read, though, that there is a home in Miami Beach, Florida, that just sold for just under $11 million. Now, why would this home have that kind of price tag? Well, it was owned by Al Capone. Not only did he live there, but it was actually the home that he died in. The notorious gangster had his gangster friends over, and this was the home where they all met and decided how they would go to Chicago and kill a bunch of people. This was just a, uh, a notorious place that Al Capone lived. However, the people that just bought the mansion bought it for $11 million so that they could tear it down and that they could build a spec home of a mere eight bedrooms, eight bath with a jacuzzi, the spa, and the whole nine yards. But you think for just a moment, why would somebody buy a noteworthy home, a notable place? Well, the person that bought it says it's a piece of junk. He says that it's an eyesore in Miami. It has nothing but bad memories and bad vibes uh, that come from it. It has water in the basement or underneath the house, rather. It has had water damage because it's like 10 feet below sea level. And they said, look, it is more valuable torn down than it is standing. And I read that and I thought, I wonder if any churches might fit that category. That a house can be more valuable torn down than it is standing. I wonder if any churches would add value to their community by not being there rather than adding value to the community because they're there. You see, when a church is not built God's way, when it's built our way, when it's built with a certain attitude or a personality or a certain set of human plans, chances are the value it adds to the kingdom and to the community is far less than what the people think. In fact, in terms of how God sees it, it would be better for the church to not exist at all if it is not being built God's way. So we as a church have a decision to make that really we make not only every day, we make every Sunday, but in every single thing that we do. Do we want to be a church that exists for the glory of God to follow God's plans, or do we want to do our own thing? And if we want to add value to the kingdom, if we want to be a blessing to our community, and if we as a church want to be all that God has called us to be, then we need to make sure that we're following God's plans and not our own. And all God's people said, wow, I really thought y'all would have done better with that. We'll work on it. If you found Ephesians and you're able to, would you stand as we read the first 14 verses of this passage of Scripture? Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 through verse 14. The Bible says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, what a blessing it is to be able to hear this tremendous praise of who You are and of what You've done. And Father, as we dive deeply into your word this morning and see the plans that you have for us, both individually and as a church. Father, may you, in this building process, build us up in our faith. And may it be done, Lord, for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I love this passage of scripture because it really is, in the Greek language, one long sentence. You can tell Paul kind of rambles there in these first 14 verses. But what a blessing it is to read all of these words and to just see all of these promises just leap off the page of all that God has done in us. And what I want you to notice is, and the outline is on the back of your bulletin if you like to take notes, and this is the kind of message that would be very helpful for you to, to jot some things down because I'm going to give you eight different aspects of God's wonderful plan. Now, they're in two very big chunks. The first part of the plan of God and the call on our life as Christians is we must first of all follow God's heavenly plans. And then secondly, we're going to see in just a moment that we need to follow God's earthly plans. God has an eternal heavenly plan. And as part of that, Paul gives us five blessings that are part of the heavenly plan of God. Now look, I don't know where everybody is this morning in terms of how you feel, what you think, what you're energy level is what your spiritual motivation is today and how up you are and filled with the spirit or perhaps even how down you might be and 
just looking for a good word to get you through the day. I don't know exactly where you're at. But if there is something that God could say to you today to give you some kind of a hope, some kind of a refueling, so to speak, to encourage your heart, it's right here in these 14 verses. I want you to notice, first of all, in God's heavenly plans, I want you to take note of the five blessings that God provides to you and that God provides to me. And thanks be to God for all of these blessings. The first one is just simply that God pours out heavenly blessings. Now these five wonderful things that God gives to us, of course, the first one is just the, the kind of the big overarching umbrella of all of these things that he's done. And he started out with heavenly blessings. Notice what he says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, he says in verse 3, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Here is a reality that you need to know today. You are earth's worst. I know that's a real encouragement on a Sunday morning, isn't it? You showed up to church to hear that. But for earth's worst, God has given heaven's best. I mean, you think about the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter. He called himself the chief of sinners. Here is a guy who killed Christians, and then he became a Christian missionary. In the eyes of God, he felt like he was the worst of all. And God has redeemed him, and he's able to say, for the worst on the earth... God has opened up the joy and the gate of heaven and poured out, he says, every spiritual blessing on me. Now you might wonder this morning, where are my spiritual blessings? What do they look like? And, and, and how much is in my bank account? Or uh, how much is in my house? And uh, how much can I, of that can I put in my back pocket? I mean, let's be serious here. Where are the blessings? Here's what God has done for you. God created you uniquely to be like Him. Sin came into the world, messed that up, so that your fellowship with God was broken and your identity with God was smeared. God then sent Jesus, His one and only Son, to take your place and your sin on Himself and die a death that you and I could never die and a, a pay a price we could never pay. And then offer to us freely the gift of eternal life so that by accepting that grace through faith, we might be born again and be brought back to God. And through being born again, not only has our identity changed, but the way in which we live has changed. Friend, if that was the only way in which God has ever blessed you, that would be enough. If the only thing that God ever did for you is save you eternally and forgive you of your sins, we could all stand and say, just like Mark sang this morning, I'm just going to sing the praises of God for millions of years because he saved me. But has God ever answered a prayer? Has God ever provided his leadership? 
Has God ever comforted you? Has God ever put somebody in your life to walk alongside of you in some hurting moment? Oh, wait a minute. You mean that God has blessed you in more ways than just salvation? Friend, the fact that you are here this morning and able to sing praises and hear from God's Word and gather together with people and, and to live uh, the kind of life to serve the Lord with joy and gladness, all of that is a spiritual blessing that comes from God. These heavenly blessings that God gives to us. Here's the second one. You notice down in verse 4, the second blessing God gives to us is a pathway of holiness. Now I want you to notice what he says in verse 4. It says, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now here's the first use of a word that in so many ways gives us a little pause. Paul uses a word predestined. He uses the word chose. And when he uses these words, a lot of people are quick to say, well, then what God has done is he looked through the span of time and he said, I want you, I want you, I don't want you, I don't want you, I want you. And that's what it means for God to choose. Or predestined to mean to say, okay, well, I want all of these people and so I'm going to predestine them for heaven and I don't want these people, so I'm going to predestine them to hell. This is the way that most people, when they read these words, this is what they believe. But I would even tell you that there's two verses in this text of Scripture that speak the exact opposite of what I just described. In this same chapter that I just read a few moments ago. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, Paul uses those similar words, but he uses them in the same way that he uses them here. That is that what he has chosen to do before time began and what God predestined us for long before we ever had a choice is God set a path for what salvation was going to be like. God set a path that was not going to change of what holiness was going to look like. Read it with me in verse 4. It says, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. What did God choose? Not who, but what? God chose that in Christ we would be holy and blameless. That is, when we come to know Jesus Christ, the pathway of holiness was already set. I'll give you an example. In the book of Exodus, God says to Moses, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell Pharaoh that I want him to let my people go so that they can go out into the, into the wilderness and worship me. Pharaoh says, no, you know the whole story, you've seen the movie, you know how it all ends. When God gets his people out into the wilderness and brings them to the mountain, does God just stand there and say, okay, troop, what do y'all want to do now? No, that's not how the movie goes. The Bible says that God calls Moses up on the mountain and between God with angels as mediators and Moses there with the tablets, God tells Moses, here is how my people are going to live. God had a prescribed pathway of holiness. 
he had already decided that his people were going to receive the law. Friend, as a born-again child of God, you are not under the law. The Bible says we are under grace. However, that does not mean that you can do whatever you want to do. That means that you are now free to do exactly what God wants you to do. You are not bound by the law. You are bound as a slave to Christ. You are free in Him, but you are free from the bondage of sin so that you might be holy and blameless being led by the Spirit. There is a pathway of holiness that God has already prescribed. You don't get to decide how wide or how narrow or how crooked or how straight that pathway is. Your job as a Christian is to walk that path. That is a blessing from God. Any of you ever had small kids at home? Any of you ever tried to tell a child, here's what you're supposed to do? And watch that child see what they can get away with and how close to the edge they can get from what they're not supposed to do. Welcome to parenthood. Welcome to what it's like for God to try to raise you too. God has already said, this is the way that you are to be holy. This is the path you are to walk. This is the way that it's supposed to be. And what we like to do is we like to get as close to one side or the other and kind of dangle our foot over into what we're not supposed to get into. But God has chosen us and chosen the path for us to walk that pathway of holiness. There's more of that to come. But the third blessing is a loving adoption. So there are heavenly blessings, first of all. There's a pathway of holiness, second of all. And the third blessing in God's heavenly plan is a loving adoption. Listen to verse 5. At the end of verse 4, he says, In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Now here again, Paul uses a word that in context says that he has predestined us for adoption as sons. Meaning that not only has God set a path that is not to be changed for us to be holy, that is not an option. But he has also given us this clear path to say, once you come into the family of God, once you profess faith and trust in Jesus, once you are born again, you are not then born again to look for a family. You are born again into my family. You are predestined to be connected to the family of God. That's how God intended it. He didn't want to just save you and put you on an island and just say, hey, look, you're on your own. No, the path that God chose was that the moment that you are born again, you are born into his family. There's a wonderful illustration of this in the book of Romans, chapter 9. In that chapter, Paul talks about a tree. And he talks about grafting one tree into another. Now, I'm no botanist. I don't understand exactly how that works. But I know that you can take two trees graft them together, and you can get some real interesting fruit when they start to blend together. 
You know, like if you take a cherry and a lemon tree and graft them together, you can get some real tart cherries. I, I don't know how that works, but I know you can do it. Well, what God has done is he had one tree in the Old Testament. That was the people of Israel. And the illustration then is all of the rest of us have been grafted into the original tree that God planted of his people in the Old Testament. So it is not that those of us that are on this side of the New Testament that are not connected to Israel and we're not born in the Jewish heritage, it is not as if we're a bunch of wild shoots just growing like wildflowers out in some field. No. We are taken from where we were, lost and in our sin. We are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. We are covered. We are joint heirs with Jesus, and we are grafted into the original tree. We are forever part of the family of God. What a blessing. The fourth blessing that God gives us in His heavenly plan is His forgiving grace. Notice in verse 6 and 7, it says of his forgiving grace, to the praise of his glorious grace which with, he, with which he has blessed us in the beloved, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins and trespasses according to the riches of his grace. I wouldn't dare ask, what kinds of sins have you committed in your life? I wouldn't ask you to just grab a microphone this morning, stand up on this stage, and begin to recite all of the things that you have done in your life that the Bible calls sin, that God would call an eternal offense. I wouldn't do it. But you know what? I don't have to. Because between you and God, you know exactly what would keep you out of the family of God. You know exactly what would keep you off of the pathway of holiness. And you know exactly how much of the forgiving grace of God has been poured out on you that apart from the grace of God, you would have no hope. I don't need to know all of your sins. The person sitting next to you, behind you, and in front of you doesn't need to know all of your sins. God already knows them and He's already chosen to pour out the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive you of every single sin. Friend, this is a heavenly blessing that you can't find anywhere. This is something that an eternally, perfectly holy God looks at a hard, crusty, no good, filthy sinner and says, I love you too much to let you die in your filth and in your sin. I'm going to cover you and wash you clean. And not just now, but forever. In Him, in Jesus, we have the forgiveness of our sins. He goes on to give us one more, and that is the fifth blessing in the heavenly plan is unity with Jesus. He says in verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things in earth. 
the mystery of his will, his purpose. I have met so many Christians in my life that the one thing they want to know is, what does God want for my life? What is God's will for me? People ask me to pray about a job opportunity. They'll ask me to pray for a friend or for a relative or a husband, a you know, spouse or a, you know, a child that they have because that, they're, they're, that person is looking for God to give them some direction. And here in this passage of Scripture, Paul says, here's a, a blessing that is in the eternal plan of God that he's going to you to do for you one day. Not today, but one day. God is going to take all the loose ends of your life, all those twists and turns that don't make any sense, all of those surprises and curveballs and ups and downs and hills and valleys and, and all of those things that you just sit back and say, God, what are you doing? And Paul says, one day, all of that is going to be united in Christ. You're not going to understand it all now. But Paul says one day in heaven, all of it will be united in Christ. God doesn't tell me what He wants from my life in the full big picture. He gives me little bite-sized nuggets that I can handle and little bitty pills that I can swallow. Friend, if God gave every bit of his wisdom and understanding and all that he was doing for you and through you and by you and in you all at one time, woo, your head would explode and you'd fall over. But that doesn't mean that God necessarily gives you what you want when you want it doesn't mean that those bite-sized chunks of information come at a time when you say, okay, God, I'm ready. Come on, now this needs to make sense to me. Come on, I need to understand why this happened and that happened. Come on, I'm ready. God knows when you are and when you're not. And what Paul says is there's coming a time, according to his plan and his will, that all of those things are going to be united in Christ. Friend, that is a blessing from God. You may not think it is right now because you may be so frustrated that it doesn't all make sense. But when you trust that God knows what He's doing, you can trust that one day, one day in Christ, all of those loose ends will be tied up and God will say this, is what I was doing. Those are heavenly blessings. But now I want to give you three earthly blessings. We see what God is doing eternally. What is God doing right now? I want you to notice these in the last couple of verses of this text of Scripture. These earthly plans that God has, there are three of them. The first one that I want you to notice is an inherited purpose now this goes right on the heels of God's plan what is God's plan for my life how is all this going to make sense how is it all going to come together Paul says well just slow your roll calm down sit back let me explain in verse 11 here's what I mean notice what he says in verse 11 
<clears throat> excuse me, he says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Boy, I love that. He says that we have obtained an inheritance. That means, friend, that God is planning to give you something according to His will, not just to unite all things under Christ, but that God is going to use you. God's going to give you a purpose. God has a plan to make you a blessing. Here's how that works. You ever been through something frustrating? You ever been scared? You ever doubted your own salvation? Have you ever doubted a decision that you made? Have you ever gotten to a point where you just don't know where to turn? You don't know what's going on? And then God steps in and He helps and guides and, and comforts and, and shows you what that plan is even in that moment? Then now you have a story. Now you can turn to that person next to you and say, you know, I've been there. I know what that's like. And if you ever lost a spouse, now you look at a person even in our church who has lost their spouse. You walk alongside them and you say, I know what that's like. I know how to pray for you. I know how to ask God to meet your needs. You see, whenever we have a story to tell, God shows His purpose here on earth that even though we all go through difficulties, God wants to use your story. He wants to use your testimony. God wants to use what He's doing in you to be an encouragement to somebody else. You think about having an obtained inheritance according to His will and purpose you have to ask God for the grace and the ability to accept whatever he desires to do and use <clears throat> excuse me my allergies are all over the map this morning have been for days I love it <clears throat> but you have a story to tell it's just that's my favorite little story to tell but there was a little boy who got saved during Sunday school, and his Sunday school teacher said, now, you, now that you've been saved, you need to go tell the preacher that you need to be baptized. Little boy runs right up to the preacher, and he says, Preacher, I just got saved, and I need to get advertised. That's what your story is. That's what your baptism is. That's what your, your testimony is. Look, nothing in your life is going to go exactly the way you want it to go. There's always going to be these moments of imperfection in these times that you need the grace of God to cover you. But that's your story. You are a walking advertisement for the grace of God, not for a perfect life, not on some yellow brick road where everything just works out well and everybody says, oh gee, I wish I were you. No, what you want people to look at you here on earth and say, I wish that I knew the Savior as well as that person did. I wish that my faith was just like that person to walk through something so difficult and still be walking with God. 
That's the purpose that God has for us. And that comes from the second earthly blessing we have, and that's a genuine salvation. Now here are those verses that I referred to earlier. People say, well, what about election? What about predestination? What about this choosing? Look at verse 13. The Bible says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. You see, friend, God does so much for us. But the responsibility to believe is always on us. To come to that moment when the Holy Spirit draws us to Him, where we then repent of our sin and turn and believe the moment that we hear that word of truth. My hope and prayers that every single one of you have heard the word of truth that I preach today. The truth of what your sin has kept you from and what the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, has given you and given you the opportunity to receive. And what you are then to do is not to just sit there and say, well, if I'm chosen, I'm chosen. Your responsibility then is to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to turn from your sin and to trust in Him. That is your responsibility. God has literally done everything else. But you hear the word of truth and you must believe. And that is when you have that genuine salvation, that born-again moment when all of those heavenly blessings then come pouring down on you. That moment when you realize this is what my heart desires. Not to die in my sin, but to live because of my Savior. Friend, you are not saved because you are amazing. You're saved because God's amazing. You're not saved because your faith is better than somebody else. You're saved because your faith is in Jesus Christ. You're saved not because God just likes you better than somebody else. You're saved because God pours out His grace on the worst of humanity. And then thirdly, and finally, lots of blessings in this passage. Is we are sealed by the Spirit. That's the last earthly part of the plan of God. He says, in verse 13, that you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Here's what God's done for you. He has placed Himself within you. From the moment that you are born again, God puts His Holy Spirit to live in you as a promise and a guarantee that while you may experience heavenly blessings now, you may have earthly blessings now, the promise and the guarantee of the Holy Spirit, this is my favorite part, by the way, the promise of the Holy Spirit says you ain't seen nothing yet. You think you have it good because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have comfort when you need it. You have leadership and you depend on it. You have answers to, to prayer. You have insight in the Word of God. Listen, that's just a small fraction of what God is promising you the moment that you step out of this shell and you step into glory in heaven. You ain't seen nothing yet. 
That Holy Spirit is there to promise you and guarantee you that you are kept by Him. That you are sealed by Him. That once you are in the hand of God, there forever you will be. And one day, when this old shell gives out, you'll step out of humanity. You'll step into eternity. Forever and ever, you will sing praises to Him. I don't know what other people think about me. <laughs> Some days I don't know what I think about me. But I did read about a picture that was been that had been sold back in October of 2018 for one and a half million dollars. It was inspired by and, and even drawn by Banksy. I don't know who Banksy is. You don't know who Banksy is. Banksy apparently is an anonymous artist over in Europe that has predominantly used spray paint to do artwork like graffiti. Well, he did one piece of artwork that was called Girl with a Balloon. Some of you have heard of it. Some of you perhaps have seen it on the internet. But there was a drawing, a, 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 an artist sketch of this particular painting that he had done on the side of a building with a girl grabbing for a balloon. And it sold for $1.4 million. The moment that the auctioneer hit the gavel and said, sold, inside the frame of that picture was a shredder. And the shredder went off like that. As soon as he said sold. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm crying. I'm, this is so good. Half of the picture was shredded instantly. It was designed this way. So that all you had left was half of the picture with just shreds hanging. And all you saw was the string and the balloon. The new artist rendering was now called Love is in the Bin, meaning the trash can. Half of the picture is now destroyed. The guy went ahead and bought the picture because instantly people said, now this is going to be worth something. Now it is estimated and in October of this year, is going to be auctioned again and is expected to make between five and a half to eight and a half million dollars for half of a picture that is shredded and it tripled in value, more than tripled in value by being shredded. Now I know that beauty is in the eye of the beholder and I know art is something that is totally subjective, completely up to the person, whatever they're willing to pay. But you know, there was a point in time when God looked at you. And somewhere in the heart and the mind of God, 
He sees something that's completely shredded, something that's worn, torn, something that looks like that doesn't have much value. And he put a price tag on you that other people would say, I'd never pay that. That's ridiculous. That person's not worth that price. And God looked at you, all the shreds, all the pain, all the problems, and said, sold, I'll take it. And God purchased you through the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, not because of how awesome you are, but because of how amazing His grace really is. Isn't God good? Doesn't He just overflow with blessings from heaven and on earth? Friend, this is how God builds the church. Not because of how amazing we are, but the moment that we realize that we are nothing and God is everything. That we have accomplished little. God has done everything. And all to the praise of His one and only Son. Would you bow your head with me as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank You so very much for the blessings that You pour out on us through Jesus Christ, Your Son. Father, I can't speak for the heart and mind of every person here. But I know that in my own heart, I know that I don't deserve what you have done for me. But Father, in spite of who I am and what I've done, the promises that come from your word tell me that I am not worthy because of what I have done, but I have been made worthy because of what Jesus has done for me. I am not forgiven of my sin because I have amazing faith. But God, I am forgiven of my sin because my faith is in your amazing grace. Father, would you build up our church to be for the praise and glory of Jesus Christ so that all that we are, all that we do will be for Him, by Him, and through Him. God, if there is just one person listening to this message who's never given their life to Christ, they have heard the word of truth today. I pray, God, today they would give their life to Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.